This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hi, I'm Becky Shu. I'm with Captrain My Consulting. I'm a client partner there. And what I love about technology and innovation is, one, just how you can make it your own, how quickly it's changing, and how much you can learn from it on a daily basis. Whether in fashion or any other industry, big companies, long-standing experienced legacy brands mean legacy systems. But it's no secret to stay competitive in today's marketplace, innovation and new technology must be integrated into legacy systems. But there are challenges and frankly threats that can come into play when integrating into legacy systems. Coming up, you'll hear from one of the biggest players in the market, helping brands integrate technology, all recorded on location at the Remedista Community Day in New York. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, powered by Sennheiser and recorded on location. Here are your hosts. Becky Shu, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And also joining us as a guest host is Janet Beasley, an independent technology consultant. Janet, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Thank you. And of course, a big hello to Pavan. Hey, hey. Hey, Pavan. And I'm Mark Rako. And uh, of course, we're here at the Remedista Community Day, a really great event. You can hear it in the background. Uh, but I am going to just launch right in with a very pointed question. Uh, Becky, and and that is, um, let's talk about integration. All right. All right. What are legacy systems for the people that just that doesn't just pop right into their head? What are we talking about, and what are the threats of legacy systems to a brand? Well, first off, I think oftentimes when we think about legacy, uh, the word old comes to mind. And um, oftentimes they may be what you often hear as homegrown. What I mean by that is it's not purchased, but built by the company themselves. But legacy systems are the systems that were first in the organization and they're outdated. They no longer um, are in existence um, or they no longer can be purchased. They may have to be constantly redeveloped and redesigned. You oftentimes hear of mainframes. Mainframes are very old legacy systems. Most people do not have mainframes anymore, but you hear of them an awful lot. Um, but just to give you an idea of the context of what legacy legacy system is, that's that kind of helps you put that in context. Becky, when you think about um, legacy systems and you think about now connectivity to the Internet of Things, um, what really eases that transition so that you aren't boxed out of innovation, that retailers that have um, aspirations to be innovative, how can you break down the barriers um, that exist in those legacy systems? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to really understand your legacy system because today most companies don't just have one type of legacy system. They may have a stack of servers in their back room. They may have um, a center of servers somewhere. They may even still have mainframes in another location. So I think that when they're thinking about doing innovation, first of all, prioritizing where they want to go 
where they are today and then what might make sense to uh, move forward in, in a um, thought, thoughtful manner. So when you're looking at trying to move away from those legacy systems in the least painful way, and I say that because it's not a cheap endeavor and we don't oftentimes want to just um, dive in head first and um, spend resources, time and money on things that won't be effective or provide you a return on investment quickly and easily. One of the things that we recommend doing is doing an assessment of your current system so that you can understand what you have because oftentimes they've been built one on top of another and often by many different people. Some of the people who built them um, may no longer be with the firm and as much as we try to do documentation and encourage documentation, that documentation may not be there. So to assess where you are um, initially so that you can then understand how best to proceed is, is what we most um, recommend. From there then, um, looking at how to transition in a thoughtful manner and, and moving then to the cloud with your integration so that you can tie things together. So I, I love what you said, Janet, about like taking advantage of opportunities like innovation overall. So if you're connecting to IoT, things like how important is it to be, I guess, to move away from kind of these more stagnant, like heavy systems to, um, you know, cloud-based servers and, and things like that? And what perils are folks facing or at least expressing their concern over? Well, I think, first of all, um, companies, especially within retail, need to be nimble. They need to be able to move quickly and to keep up with the times. So that's extremely important so that, that you are not stagnant. And by integrating your systems, um, and again, for those people who don't really understand what integration means, um, today's integration platforms put things all together. So if you think about what you often hear as point-to-point, Think about a bowl of spaghetti. You've got one noodle connected to another and it's all um, you know, kind of crossed. What an integration layer will do is, um, to put it more simply, is think about a, um, a, a large outlet that's on your floor and you can put a bunch of plugs in it and it connects everything. That's sort of how an integration layer works. It makes it seamless. It allows you to connect to other things without having to have many, many different lines connected one to another. By having this integration layer and by slowly removing these point-to-point -point connections and removing these legacy systems into the cloud, it allows you to be much more nimble, allows you to bring new solutions to your market faster, and also helps you to have return on investment faster. Yeah, and for context, I mean, these are, these are companies that have been around for a while. They have state power. They've collected a tremendous amount of data over time. So their databases are, are ginormous, right? So uh, your company, I think, has over 200,000 employees globally, um, works over 40 countries. Like, you're not messing around with the mom and pop shops. Like, who are we talking about right now? Well, it's interesting that you ask that because we do deal with large, large companies and governments and also financial systems, uh, financial retail government, I should say, as well as healthcare. But sometimes we also deal with some smaller organizations. Um, they often may not be our prime candidates, but it doesn't mean that we don't work with small candidates or small organizations because they also need help and they are growing quickly, especially in this space. 
And Becky, when you work with a more traditional corporation that's really just beginning this journey, um, how do you help them think about prioritizing a cloud migration since it feels big and overwhelming? How do you break it down so that you can drive business value sooner? Mm -hmm. um, well, back to what I was saying before, we first want to do an assessment of what they have. We want to help them to understand what their goals are. Oftentimes, companies don't understand what their goals are. So we also um, do what we call um, an exchange. So we bring all the leaders from the organization in. We sit down and we really assess with them, help them to understand what their priorities are so that they can then um, drive forward with their um, their business strategy. Because if we drive forward with an, um, a technology strategy, that doesn't always get them where they need to be from a business strategy. And so we help them to understand from a business perspective where they need to be and where they are today. Um, we often encourage and um, work with companies that may understand their brand, but don't understand their consumer, because they have so many um, separate databases and separate, as you had alluded to, Pavan, that you know, they have a loyalty system, they'll have a brick and mortar system, they have a POS system, they, ha they may even offer a credit card, and none of those pieces of data connect, and so we often help individuals or corporations to step back, look at what they have, determine what their business strategy is, and then to make those decisions from a technology basis. IOT is one of the things that you mentioned and one of the things that we work with a lot, but oftentimes people get caught up into the excitement of a new technology and it becomes a science experiment as opposed to an actual um, business driver for, for the organization. Becky, uh, for any company that is undergoing a technology innovation or pursuing innovation, clearly a roadmap is crucial. Correct. Can you speak a little bit on the, if there is a difference, the difference between say a small uh, indie fashion brand and then a big legacy fashion brand and how they might approach a roadmap in collaboration with you on something like this? I think that um, both organizations have similar but very different challenges. When you think about a small indie, um, some of the benefits that they have is that they're still nimble. They may not have some of those large legacy systems, but they're also struggling to get their name out there. With a large organization, they may have their name out there, but they're bogged down by some of the, um, the technical debt that they have already, some of the things that they have to shed to move forward quickly. And because they're large, it's just like trying to you know, move a large ship around and turn it. Um, it takes some time. And so when we work with a, a smaller indie type company, we're able to move quickly and be able to do some of the innovation just a little bit faster. However, they don't necessarily have the capital or the, um, the, the name brand recognition out there that allows them to do some of the things that the larger companies do. So in an environment where there's that much change going on, how do you and your team think about helping organizations through change management and um, talent recalibration? Because it, it feels like with the yeah. de demands are very, very different. Um, and how do you think about helping organizations through that journey? 
That's a good question because that gets beyond technology and um, something that's also really critical to organizations. Organizations, I think by nature, don't want to just shed um, their talent that they've got within the company that have been there for a long time. And so we also have a consulting side of the business that works with you to determine, first of all, what is the best organizational structure for you, and then also how to um, help position individuals who have talent but may not necessarily fit within the organization they're in because that's changing so quickly and and also shedding some of their areas. And so um, taking a look A, at your, your current organization and B, where it's going, and then helping to assess um, how we can help you to um, sort of morph the, the individuals and help them to change across the board. All right. Uh, coming up, you'll hear Becky comment on how we can think about the consumer and their experience and their needs as you move forward with technology innovation. That's coming up right here on location at Remedistas Community Day. We'll be right back right after this. Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done, and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstapodcast.com. For, for me, looking at any sort of, this is a major shift in how a company um, does business, and what are some of the effects that you, that we're not maybe thinking about or you have to anticipate and prepare for? There are a number of things that come to mind. Um, first off, oftentimes when people are talking about a technology shift, and I'll focus on that for just a moment, they think simply about technology. But what they forget is that technology shifts within an organization or even if the shift in technology is going to impact their consumer, Oftentimes, it ends up being a cultural shift within the organization. An example for, of that is um, when somebody, when a large company is trying to become more nimble, oftentimes they have to shift the way they're doing technology. But that shift in doing technology impacts the entire organization. What I mean by that is you often hear the word agile. Well, that means de delivering things very quickly and small pieces of that. So if you're going to do that, you need to engage the business, and that business needs to be dedicated to it so you can roll that new technology out quickly. What that also means is that rather than doing one large deployment that everybody knows about, they're constantly being impacted by change. 
So now if you are a um, person who works in a large department store and you're used to the same thing coming up on your handheld every single day and you know that in 12 months you'll get an upgrade, that's one thing. But if you're having something being pushed to you every single week, that's a shift. It's a cultural shift knowing that not only does your technology team need to deliver faster, your te testing team needs to be delivering faster, your business organization needs to partner with that technology organization, but so does the end user have to shift in the way they are managing and training on a daily basis. So what may seem like a small change in terms of technology can be a very large organizational change yeah. in a culture. For sure. And, and so like, Jenna, how are you maybe like talking through like the preparation stages of going into an engagement then? Like, are you giving kind of warnings to like warning flags? Like this is how things can affect um, yeah, going I, forward? I do think it's really important to be candid about where obstacles may reside, and those could be cultural obstacles that Becky described. Um, it's really a matter of getting through to an organization and staying grounded on a mission, and if that mission can be delivering the best customer experience, that can be really grounding, and it really helps people embrace the direction. So change can be hard for a lot of folks, um, but if there really is a clear um, statement about where the team is headed, what they're delivering, um, it's going to make it better for the customer. Um, that is a really grounding item and can be sort of that North Star to keep people moving in the right direction. Are there any attributes to the company um, that they must have in order for you folks to work with them? It really comes down to willingness and I think good intention. Um, and most people are both those things. They have a willingness to deliver the best customer experience. They're well-intentioned. I really think sometimes it's a matter of direction and kind of um, galvanizing the forces in a single forward motion um, because people will potentially, if they haven't really signed up for a mission, be somewhat scattered mm -hmm. um, and sometimes siloed so there's a strong element of communication and organization to it as well. You brought up customer um, experience twice in that last uh, comment so I'm wondering so that, Becky like right now we, we briefed on it a little bit in the break um, seamless customer experiences and creating those um, to me seem not, anything but seamless uh, so, you know, everyone wants that experience as a customer to really not, like, you know, that they're interacting as from the website to the to the in-store and, and purchasing and, and using the behaviors that they've now been um, conditioned to in the real world, in the in-store. The in -store. And the expectation is just there to, to do that. And... Um, Absolutely. How, how, do you, how do you support that? How, you know, how do we get there? Well, I think first off, um, individuals or I should say companies have a hard time really understanding and grasping. We hear seamless customer experience, customer engagement. It's a term that's thrown around a lot, but oftentimes it's not thought of, um, it's not thought through. 
Uh, you'll have an organization that has a POS system. As I mentioned before, a POS system, a visa system, um, a brick and mortar. They have all these pieces and they, they haven't quite figured out who their customer is. They know who they themselves are, but they don't know who their customer is. And so there's a reluctance to do that, um, to pull it together. What we try to do is to help corporations understand, first of all, who their customer really is by pulling all these systems together because it's not a transactional um, transactional relationship anymore. People want to know who they're dealing with and the end consumer wants to know that there's that relationship with you. You don't want to just be given a coupon for something that isn't anything that you have anything to do with and quite frankly, people don't really want coupons. They want to have that experience, that connectedness with the, um, the experience that they're having, whether it be a restaurant or it be a um, fashion you know, designer, um, a healthcare system, whatever that is, they want to make sure that that relationship is there. And so helping them to, helping organizations to understand that and how to get there in the end, I think, um, allows them to move forward. Like, how do we get there, right? Like, is this, um, is this like the integration is so difficult? Like, rolling out something, you can't just be like, here you go, new experience for everybody, right? So, how are maybe, um, and I'll start with you, Janet, like, how are you um, consulting on the rollout side? Like, how are you testing, iterating, making sure that it's not disrupting anything um, that's part of the, the, the business? So, I mean, that really is the challenge, and it comes down to some initial work in terms of customer journey mapping and figuring out where in that customer journey you can insert your new experience or refine an experience and take those high-value areas and invest there. Um, because you can't do it all and you can't really absorb the level of change that's required to do things in wholesale anymore. You need to iterate in small pieces, deliver, um, and deliver with quality. So um, it really is kind of picking your shots, if you will. And I think a lot of people are coming to this space um, out of need, out of frustration, because they have built great customer experiences, but sadly, they're not scaling because they were built as point-to-point solutions. Mm-hmm. And so it, you're, you're coming to it, you want your business to grow, and now in order to power that growth, you've got to transition to something that is more scalable and can reach out and take advantage of other opportunities in a more digitally connected world. What technologies excite you right now, whether specific companies or just uh, overall technology capabilities that are available that haven't been before? So, Pavan, I'm fresh back from Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And uh, they have the... Um, Bourbon the and music? I, Whiskey and music? Well, that too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but they also have the bird scooters. Are you familiar with these? There's Lime and, and Bird scooters. Right, um, I've and seen it's them. brilliant, a brilliant use of technology. Mm-hmm. So you have an app on your phone, it's all geo tracking. It's also taking advantage of a gig economy because folks who live locally have the option of participating in this business model by charging these electric scooters. And it's just it's a fabulous invention that takes advantage of all of the mobile technologies and the gig economy. And I just, I thought it was brilliant and just a fabulous way to see the city as well. Uh-huh. How about yourself, Becky? 
I've really been um, playing around with both conversational as well as IoT technologies yeah. lately. And um, while they've been there a little while now, some of their applications have been really exciting to see um, implemented. And also the adaption that you've been seeing now, not just by organizations, but also by the consumer. You now see people who, well, for example, I've had an Alexa for over five years. I have a tendency to be a little bit an early adapter on some of these, but to be able to wire up your entire home, I can open my garage door while I'm sitting here in New York, and it'll open up in Minneapolis, and I'll know how to close it yeah. from my phone. You know, those kinds of things are really exciting and fun. From from a large scale perspective, however, um, some of the technologies that are are trending, but also um, tried and true, are your integration layers, because that does allow organizations to be nimble and to move um, forward in a much faster manner, and then to take advantage of beaconing or IoT or some of the other things that allow them to move forward in the way that they want to. For retailers that have a large physical footprint, what is a must look at right now and what might be a nice to look at for down the road? I think there's an amazing amount of um, innovation and in digital signage um, and the ability to really um, visually freshen your physical space. We just talked to Dugal just uh, before this. Yeah. And a lot of it was talking about that. Amazing yeah. job. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that's a fascinating way to just um, do some very creative things mm -hmm. in the physical space. The question? Yeah, like uh, if you're if you're a physical retailer, like what's a must start? Like what would you invest in today, and maybe what would you start looking into for tomorrow? So if I'm a physical retailer, um, I do think you have to look at where your pain points are in terms of must-haves and what are nice-to-haves, um, because if if your supply chain is running smoothly and everything's working great but you're really struggling on your on your store floor, then that's what you know is a must-have versus a, a nice-to-have. I think also, um, just in general, I would also say um, there are probably two areas. One is cloud. If you're not there already, it's definitely where you, you'll need to be so that you can be nimble. And the other is, and I keep saying this, is integration so that you can um, move yourself forward without having to be connected point to point to everything. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, Becky, uh, we often like to offer our guests the opportunity to share a final thought, reflect back on the conversation, uh, or on the work that you're doing in general. So if there's a piece of wisdom or, uh, or insight that you'd like to leave behind to our listeners, what might it be? I think, um, especially when I reflect back on some of the clients that I've been dealing with most recently, um, some of the struggles that I see them having is really um, understanding where to go. And oftentimes what I see is they, they may understand their business, they understand who they are and their branding, but they really don't understand their customer. And, and it's like anything else, if you don't know your audience, it's very difficult to deliver, to really understand you know, what you should be saying to them. Same holds true with the, almost any industry. If you don't understand your, your customer, then it's very difficult to move forward. So I think that, that that is one of the things I'm seeing most frequently. 
a key point for sure, um, not just in the work that you're doing, but I think in almost any aspect of where you're innovating your company and changing things up for sure. Uh, and how can people connect with you uh, and with your company? Well, again, my name is Becky Shu, and my last name is spelled differently than it sounds. It's HSU, so that's fairly easy to remember. I am on LinkedIn, and it's uh, Becky.Shu, HSU at CapGemini.com. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you so much, uh, everybody. That was uh, Becky Shu. Uh, Becky Shu is Capgemini's strategic solutions consultant. Thanks so much, Becky. Thank you. And and thank you to Janet Beasley, a technology consultant herself. And uh, really appreciate you joining in on the conversation and adding your own insights. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And that's it for this episode of Fashion is Your Business on location at Remedistas Community Day in New York City. Really appreciate you joining us uh, for Puff and Ball. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Rako, and I uh, appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, fashionisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. This is your announcer, Peter Coleman. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.